5678. Hello, you are listening to a new episode of 5678, a podcast about dance training. My name is Rebecca Verstold and today's guest is Krissa Parkinson. Hey Krissa. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Could you uh, introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, so um, I am uh, a dancer. I identify as a dancer. And I, I come from North America originally and I worked a lot in North America and Northern Europe. Uh, my, my training and background is in concert dance. So dance that is created to be seen, to be looked at. And um, my trajectory as an, as an artist comes through um, classical training uh, and queer communities. I, I'm not, I don't identify as queer, but I was trained and um, nurtured, cultivated by queer communities. And uh, then moving into somatic practices, um, not that those are in opposition, but that it was a development for me. Uh, and yeah, always with the interest in making artworks. <laughs> Great. And we are uh, sitting in my kitchen in Fridensplan in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. And um, we haven't met that many times. No. I took a class at MDT, I think, years ago. And mm. then I took recently classes at Danscentrum in Stockholm. But it's like a funny aspect of dance training that I have feel like I've met your work through other people. Because through my mm. dance training, people have been referencing you or uh, especially this uh, self-interview where you mm-hmm. uh, interviewed that you did with yourself on practice mm-hmm. that has occurred several times in my education. So I feel like I know parts of your work through other people's work. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... It's interesting with Dance Week because we have quite short generations of, of people working professionally for a short amount of times. And then teachers span the lo- longer mm. generations and the... Yeah, the question of like um, acknowledgement or accountability or kind of because we're an oral tradition, it's like we talk about people that we know. You know, it's it's not written down, um, but it is kind of inscribed in bodies. Also, the the way that knowledge moves. Yeah. Mm. So my first question to get into your dance training background. Mm-hmm is how did you start to dance? So uh, I started with Isidore Duncan training when I was three years old. And um, there were there were these women who had uh, been Isidorables, so they were they were children that Isidore Duncan had adopted. And they created a studio for training uh, in the Isidore Duncan dancing in the North Berkeley Hills, which was up above where I lived. And they had a, a building. I'm going to tell the long story. Okay. Please do. <laughs> this is a long story. Uh, they, so they had a building designed for them. For It was designed for Isidore. And it was, I think it's Maybeck. I'm pretty sure it was designed by Maybeck. And it was designed as a Greek temple. So there were pillars, and it looked... The, the pillars had a kind of area behind them, and then it looked out over um, the North Berkeley Hills and down to the the bay and across to San Francisco and Marin County. It was like this very like beautiful, majestic view. The thing about that area is that... Um, it's really cold, actually. Like people think of California as warm, but the, it, the fog comes in from the bay, and um, the wind comes. It's, it's very cold. So they had called this place Temple of the Wings because it was, you know, Greek, 
and <laughs> wings. But after a while, it, they just, it was just too cold. And so they, they put windows in between the pillars. They called it, sorry, they called it Temple of the Winds. I always tell this story wrong. They called it Temple of the Winds, and then they changed it to call it Temple of the Wings because they had to close the um, windows and the winds couldn't move through anymore because it was too cold. And like years later, I thought, that's the most postmodern thing I ever was involved in. <laughs> this kind of thing. Uh, but it was, you know, they were great. They were really like, they just were really encouraging for you to skip around. You know, they really wanted you to just play and, um, and dance together. It was a lot about dancing together. Hmm. And uh, do you remember back then what it was you liked about dancing? Like, why did you continue? Yeah, that's funny. I, um, it's kind of like a flurry of activity that the memory of that time it's just there were just so many things going on and like you were standing in line and then you had to run out and then people were watching you and then you were wearing chiffon and you had like a wreath on it was so exciting and I it gets very mixed with the next things that happened which was when sort of patterns started to come in and you would be you know going from from waiting in line and skipping to skipping in a line and then skipping in line with other people and then like there would be a pattern on the floor that you could follow so i think i liked like it happened very fast that i liked um being being in relation to a structure like like my body and then like what I was feeling in relation to a pattern or a structure or like something coordinating something I think not so much the individual moves but mm. like the the whole thing what um, how did your dance training continue after these classes so after that I um let's see I went to work with this at a dance studio across town um called Shaw Anderson and there was a woman there I think her name was Sheila Kogan and she taught young young people dancing and we they she had a parachute that was really big you could like the went like you could push the parachute up in the air and jump under it and she made all these patterns and like rhythms and um was very fun and she was she was very uh like I realized later she was very advanced in her teaching she was really like sensitive and like made really nice games to play with so then and then I just got more and more serious I think I went to Italy when I was 10 and I um I took some some ballet classes there and and it was very strict And I was extremely undisciplined. <laughs> and I also, I didn't speak Italian. So I spoke um, French at that time and English, but I didn't really speak Italian. And so sometimes I would just become very um, stubborn. Like I kind of understood what they were saying, but I just wouldn't do it. And one of the things they were like, your outfit is wrong. You can't, you're not allowed to wear the pink ribbons all the way up your leg yet. And I was like, well, what's the point if you can't wear the pink ribbons? What a drag. So I just ignored them. Um, but I also got, I mean, that was pretty fascinating because there, you could just feel there were all these rules and ways of doing things and like systems but I didn't know what they were mm. and I, I was kind of I got interested I got curious it's like magic mm. or something it's like oh, what is that does that does that make a spell like if you if you do that then that and something explode <laughs> uh, so when I came back from Italy I wanted to take ballet and I started to take I started to study ballet quite seriously um Yeah, there were a lot of characters then that sort of started to, like, people, the, the teachers started to become very, like, interesting. Like, like they, 
you know, they had like, um, we had this teacher, Evelyn Schuert, who was just, you couldn't tell what age she was, but she seemed to be, she must be very old. And she wore like lots of eyeshadow and big earrings and, um, long skirts and she was very elegant and I found out later that she came from Idaho which is like not exotic at all <laughs> but she studied in Chicago with Maria Tallchief she was she was one of the she was one of these young ballerinas who um Maria Tallchief came up with and she ended up being in San Francisco Ballet but she she was incredible she was she was very impressive but she never um, used her power against anybody. She she never humiliated anybody, or you know, put someone on display. She was incredibly careful. I realized later also, mm. like she she really was even-handed, and she was very strict, also. Mm. So that was a really kind of interesting environment. Um. She, there were some very good young dancers in that uh, group of, of children. You know, we were like 11 to 13. And I, and I was super attracted by being around really good dancers. I, really, I was really like, I just like being near the other. I mean, I was okay. I was not, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, yeah, I had some gifts, but, but, the, but I could tell the difference. Some people were just super gifted, and I was not jealous. I don't think I was, I didn't really learn jealousy yet, um, but I liked being around it. Hmm. How, uh, when you started working, mm -hmm. how did the training part continue? Okay, so um, I I started working in New York when I was 19. And at that point, there were a lot there were a lot of ballet classes. It was very common for people to take ballet classes, but I had left ballet by then okay. and was was working I had, I was heavily trained in modern dance, so classical dance and then modern dance. Um I went to conservatory, and then so, and then when I came out, I was like ready to be uh, hired <laughs> by a by a modern dance company. But I didn't really like them. I didn't really like what was happening, and I I was too tall for a lot of situations. Like people were like, "That's that body doesn't fit in these um, categories." So I was out kind of freelancing, working, and taking ballet uh, ballet classes. Then at a certain point I got injured and I started to study more um, somatic or what we called body work forms. And that's when my dancing started to really change. Like there's something happened where like I had kind of hit the, the limit of what I could do technically um, through the training I had. And then when I, through injury and then through finding um, other forms and other ways of moving, I started to be able to do much more. Mm. And then um, the work that I started to do was different also. I had, a, I had a larger range of work, so my training kind of changed uh, the spectrum of artistic work that I could do, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. What, uh, what did it include when you started with the somatic work like what became the range well um more improvisational work mm. more work where i was creating the material uh, more work that involved partnering actually um and um probably a larger phys physical range like going down to the floor and yeah, a little bit more virtuosic in some ways, like a different kind of virtuosity, maybe. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Is that true? 
it's hard to remember. I think there was a switch for me, Rebecca, because there was a point where I was, uh, again, being around very good dancers and, and realizing that they, there were people who were working with release techniques who could do stuff that I couldn't do. Hmm. They could move quickly and softly. <laughs> I could only move. <laughs> I was, that was new to me. I was like, well, um, quickly and softly. They could go to the front ground and come up very easily. They had different kinds of um, coordination memories. Like they could remember different kinds of details. Um, and that became attractive to me. So it was, I think it was a combination between injury and also just desire to, to like understand th how other people were moving. Um, how could they do, you know, how could they do that? Like those subtleties of um, dynamic, there just seemed like a whole lot of subtleties of dynamic that I hadn't had access to. I could do, I could kind of reproduce them visually, but I couldn't really reproduce them sensually. Like, so then through um, techniques that had more, that were taught more through touch and sensation than through uh, visual mm -hmm. reproducing shapes or, yeah, reproducing shapes, I guess. Uh, suddenly a whole spectrum of, of qualities of choreography became more available to me. Mm. And then... I became more interested in those those types of choreographies also, you know, through through the experience of them. Yeah. I think I lost myself in the question now. Um, so if you would uh, think about all of this dance training that mm -hmm. you've been through, could you mention something that you are grateful for that dance has taught you? Mm -hmm. Um it's uh, I can't I mean I can't think of I can't think of dance um, without both gratitude and um, sadness <laughs> I think uh, so it's a very big I mean it's such a big it's it is has been my world you know it has been the, the what has moved me places. Um, but gratitude, I think that dance taught me to um, take really deep pleasure in um, understanding things from inside them. So, because I had like I have this this pleasure in form and and pattern and all these things, uh, experiencing them from inside gives you a whole different relation to the the um, ethics that those forms produce. So, like, are they are they? Is that a mean form? Is that a mean form? Is that a dirty form? Is that a like, is that a strong form? Is it like, what is that form? What's the feeling of it? What does it do? How can you relate through it? And I think, you know, movement teaches you a lot about um, shifting categories, you know, escaping categories or moving boundaries or sort of blurring the edges of things. But dance, with its levels of formalities, brings that to another level. Mm. Of like, not only are you moving, but you're moving through choreographies. You're moving through constructs. You're moving through languages, um, and you're moving differently from the person next to you. So that that experience of difference. Um, brings up all these qualities of relation that you're able to respond to from inside 
your own work. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a long, long way to say it. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, experiencing form from within. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mm, so I would like to talk a bit about these classes that I uh-huh. took at Dance Centrum with you. Mm. And in the beginning of the class, you took time to like introduce and contextualize yourself and your work. And uh, you mm. mentioned a term that was new to me that you also mentioned in your introduction now, mm-hmm. which was concert dancing. Mm-hmm. And you already said also now like dance that was created to to be seen. Mm-hmm. But could mm-hmm. we talk a bit more about this term concert dancing yeah. and maybe how your work is a part of that tradition? Right. Um, mm. So maybe it, maybe it's just good to, to say that I, um, I started to think about that because at a certain point I realized that the term contemporary dance had sort of become a monster and was leaking all over the place and taking up room in a way that like I I was like it's now it's become like everything I I, I can't so I thought okay let me um let me try to find what the limits of my knowledge is Mm -hmm. (laughs) my what the limits of my knowledge my knowledges are, you know, like what, what, what's the, uh, what's the edge there so that I can say, okay, this is where I come from. This is what I do. And maybe you as a student or a practitioner, like whatever relationship we're in, then you can put me at some distance to what you do. Like you can say, okay, you do that and I do this and this is where those things could meet. Instead of me saying like, I'm contemporary and you're now, we're contemporary, so now you're part of me. <laughs> it just <laughs> felt wrong. Um, and and kind of to relieve myself of the universalist thing, like that, that uh, what I do is everything. And it's kind of uncomfortable also because... I come also from uh, queer practices and postmodern practices where categories are really not what we're comfortable with. We don't really like, we like, don't put a label on it. Don't put a name on it. Don't make it one thing. I don't want to identify with anything. Mm. I want to be, you know, free of all this. So it's, it's, it's awkward. And I don't know, it might be temporary. It might be, you know, in a couple of years that I don't use that term anymore, but it just was a response to, um, to the yeah universalism. Um, also, having you know with the identifying as a dancer, um, I'm I'm always dealing with with the question of uh, how I'm how I'm seen. Where's front? What's what's um, what perspective is being used on me? I can't control how I'm seen as a performer, but I can include as much as I as possible <laughs> about what I know about the world. Uh, but I but uh, I'm always in this kind of ambiv- ambiguous um, condition of being um, both the subject of my story and the subject of your gaze subjected to your gaze and my subjectivity is my uh, realm my process so I just I just like I was like oh yeah I have been dealing with that since since very young Mm. the question of outside like the temple of the winds you know it looked a certain way and it had a certain facing and it had a certain view and it invited people to come see you know, peop- these children in a certain way. So there, there are all these aspects of that that were there. And I just feel it. I know, you know, like I walk into a room, I'm like, what's, <laughs> uh, where's front? What's upstage? What's downstage? Mm. What's what's to the right, to the left? Whose right or left is it? All these questions are there. I don't, I mean, I have danced off proscenium 
stages as much as on. And I have done a lot of work that is very um, touch-based and, and the visuality of it is, is maybe secondary or sort of experimental. Um, but it's always about uh, producing an artwork that can be considered visually. So that's what concert dance, concert dance is proscenium. Uh, there's, you know, there's, there's people sitting down. There's a sort of, some sort of frame. Mm. We're over here. You're over there. We make shapes for you. <laughs> and, and you decide whether, you know, whether you kind of get along with those shapes or not. Um, and then there's all these other questions of the empathy that passes between the anticipation of, 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 you know, of kinesthesia. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I really don't know how people watch. I don't know what that is that people are doing who are sitting in an audience doing that. I mean, I think it's great. I'm really <laughs> glad. I'm really glad they're there. But for me, it's secondary. It's, it's, it's the, that's another thing mm. that it's watched. It's, it's the work that is being done on, um, in the studio, in the room, on stage, uh, the relation to pattern, all that, like from inside, all those things. That's what's, that's what really interests me or really drives me. Mm. And then the question of the, of the concert condition is just kind of fascinating. Like it's, it's really interesting, I, but I don't have much, um, attachment to it. Mm. Like it could be, I'm a little, I maybe I'm a little lost in what I'm saying, but I, yeah, the concert condition doesn't really matter to me that much, but I just acknowledge that that's how I was trained. Yeah. You know, there were wings, mm. there were, <laughs> there were edges of the stage. Uh, oh. What about when you are in the position of the one seeing? Mm -hmm. Like you say that it doesn't interest you so much when you are on the inside, but do you enjoy to be the one seeing? Um, sometimes very, very much, you know, um, but I definitely have a preference for being close to, to the stage <laughs> almost always. Like I would rather be, I would almost always rather be in studio rehearsal than in the hall. Mm. Um, or if I see it in the, in the, if I see it on, if I see something on stage, I would really like to also see it in the studio. Like I like that move. Um, what is it you like when it's in the studio? Mm. being being close to it and being and not having one way to look at it that it's not quite formed yet mm. exactly how it should be looked at I mean generally in the studio you're a little bit too close so you're never really seeing yeah it's probably that Rebecca actually it's that um in the studio I'm also imagining how the thing is supposed to be seen mm. right but on stage I'm like oh that's it <laughs> it's like once it's like this is how it's supposed to be seen in the studio there's still this thing of imagine of imagined space or imaginary space or imagined conditions and then it, and I like the actually that's what I really like is when it flops between being what's actually happening and what you imagine to happen mm. like that kind of flip um I find really fun and different artists work differently with that like so you know some some choreographic situations like the studio is actually where you're actually working in there <laughs> like it's actually there mm. and then other people it's that's it's completely in a, a, a proxy for um a completely other kind of space yeah um. And I like playing, I like that game as a dancer. I like playing with that, with being in both imaginary and real space. And I guess as an audience member too, you mm. know, I like the game. Mm. 
uh, in this class that I took with you, mm-hmm. we spent some time with an exercise where we were in couples. Mm-hmm. And uh, one person was with closed eyes and dancing. Mm-hmm. And the partner was observing and taking care that the person wouldn't run into other people or a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and in conversation in between these rounds, I remember you saying something like, mm-hmm. perspective is different from what is being seen. Mm. And I think this exercise that we did is a very clear example of that, mm-hmm. how it feels uh, yeah, obvious to me that the perspective of the person dancing with their eyes closed is different from what the observer is seeing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also that this exercise is a, some sort of simple performance setup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think when you said this, perspective is different from what is being seen. I had this sensation of like recognizing that in my experience. And I think um, identifying as a dancer, I experience also a friction between what I'm experiencing, dancing, and what is being seen. And then I'm also sometimes bothered by this friction mm-hmm. and that I want... Um, what is being seen to come closer to what I'm experiencing from my perspective. Mm. Uh, And I wonder how you work with this Mm -hmm. difference of perspective and what is being seen, and uh, if it is a friction for you to... Um, That's a great question. I have I think I've had different relations to that friction at different times as a performer and as a student also. Um I think I mean there have been there have been times as a student where it's been really painful that difference between what I experience and what's seen and as kind of feeling that there's a refusal to see what's what I'm actually doing or what's actually happening um which is a you know a a discriminatory bias on the part of the viewer or of the or of the authority and I think that is really um it's a it's something that that you can you can feel people going through and you can, and you know, having gone through it itself, you can feel people going through it and know that for every, every person who goes through that kind of misunderstanding, um, it's painful in a way that you can't imagine. Like their, their particular, um, difficulty with that is deeply personal and, 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 and also the, like the response that people have to that. Is the, the way that they resist being seen wrong or move towards being seen the way that they think the other person, you know, somebody wants them to be, or like, all, you know, the, all these different responses um, from being in very heavy classical training, I can say like, it's, it's a, it can be quite toxic and, and very difficult to recover from. Um, and but when you do begin to if you if you can manage to survive that um that discoordination let's say um you can begin to change how people see also you can you can begin to become you can go through that conflict you can actually make a difference you still can never control how anyone sees you and you you, you can't um, but you can begin to change the form from within so not actually change the shape of your body but change what formalities are being considered what um, what what's being valued, um, how, Mm. and 
now I'm going to, I, I know I'm kind of pulling your question a little bit, but I think that really has to do with communities of practice, people coming together to make a difference in how um, the relation between what you feel and how it's seen is considered, mm. right? Because it, it's, a, it's a deeply political thing. It's a deeply community-based question of can I be seen, <laughs> you know, like, mm. and, and what of me can be seen and how. And uh, so, you know, t- to really like, like, like just put that out as a, as a um, potential that we have as performers to change what is represented and how it's represented and what it means to the world. Like that's, that's what we, that's one of the things we do. I mean, Mm. it's it's how we work. Um, the question with training of who you trust to tell you what they see is also part, you know, it's really, that's a really big question is like the, if, if you, if there are biases being used against you, like sexism, racism, homophobia, misogyny, you know, flat earthism, anti-intellectualism, I don't know what, you know, all, all these things. Uh, when those biases are used against you, you will suffer according to your ability to fight them. And then when you, if you can, if you can work in communities where those biases are not being used against you, then maybe you can uh, develop further and open up and find skills that, that support um, survival of conflict and survival of misunderstanding. Mm. And uh, well, that sounds a little sad. <laughs> it sounds hard and sad. I'm sorry, I make it hard and sad. I, I think it's really great. I mean, I just think it's kind of the the great thing about being a performer is that you're always working in this very strange condition of um, re reconsidering how you're seen and what that means, just constantly. Mm. Like it's always in there and how other people are seen. Um, yeah, and communities. So the right, like finding communities of practice of pe- people who are working like you um, can really help support that change, really make a difference. Mm. Have you found or worked in those communities where you feel that work has been shared? Yes, definitely, uh, and often. Um, well, like working in New York, uh, in the eighties and nineties, um, was, was just extraordinary for, for the complexity of the issues that people were just living through and dealing with, um, through art in the, in the scene, in the people that I was working with. I, I really love, um, that world and those people it's not simple you know it's not like um it's not like there were good guys and bad guys there's a lot of a lot of ethically confusing um behavior authority and um representation like all those things it gets it gets very you wouldn't want to look at any one example and say like that person was good, <laughs> you know, was was had goodness. But um, the whole community was working laterally. So lateral, sorry, um, the lateral community, the friends, the, the the people who are not in authority necessarily, but are kind of creating a momentum of what to do, what to do next, what to pay attention to, like that kind of ground the ground cover community um that was really powerful and i that i felt really part of and i felt that in in northern europe also that the the dancer community that i was part of was really full of of complex nuanced indeterminate 
you know, um, generative, uh, confusing, sometimes um, disorganized, beautiful people. <laughs> you know, they, were, they were working in great ways. I just great. And here, I mean, also in Stockholm, like the, it, um, it's a little bit different because I have a different relation to the community here because as I came as a teacher and into an institution. Uh, so I'm mostly like I'm a lot of the, the majority of people I meet are students and they have a relation to me that is, has to do with authority and, and responsibility. It's a little bit different. Um, but I see that those, those students also creating, uh, contexts for other people a lot of the time and making, um, inroads into culture that aren't, uh, just, um, reiterating the thing that's already there, but moving, changing things, mm. moving, moving through, um, I want to say, yeah, I don't know. Yes. I mean a lot. And, and again, like this, this, the people you work alongside with, it's, it's just amazing how much, like as a dancer, how much time you spend with people, right? Yeah. Like it's really a lot. And you, you find yourself getting along with somebody who you like, and getting along really intimately with somebody who you you would you never chose to be in the room with them, mm. you know you were put in that group with that person, and then you develop this understanding that's like super complex and carries so much um, knowledge. So I've read or listened mm -hmm. to a spoken essay by you, and it was called Liminal Aminates. Animates. Animates. Yeah, animates. <laughs> and uh, it's a part of an online presentation of your research called Documenting Experiential Authorship. And I have a quote that mm -hmm. I would like to read. Great. So here it goes. What I don't want to suggest is that in authoring experience, I have control of experience. Experience is by definition uncontrollable. I'm more interested in skillful experiencing and what it can produce than I am in control. Mm -hmm. um, so how would you describe skillful experiencing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that it is. It has to do with choice making, um, being able to uh, assess a situation and decide. I'm going to go this way rather than that way. Um, going this way is still not controlling because you don't, I mean, you just, you, you know, you might make, yeah, you take a, you take a little bit of a right, but you could veer and fall and spill out and, you know, crash and like, you don't know what's, what's going to happen next. But you say, you look at, you look at what's happening and you think in order for, um, this art to continue to manifest itself the way it seems to want to, I'm gonna choose t to bring this kind of sense making to the to the table, you know, to the room, like bring it in. And I think for me, the one like a, on a really practical, like technical level, um, the relation to to space is quite obvious to me. Like like how I might divide space. Um, do I choose to quarter it? Do I choose to put it on a clock? Do I choose to use upper space or lower space? How do I, like, what are, is it, is it a, is it, um, a space made of volumes that you have to move 
around or is it a space that's divided geometrically is it a, is it a space that's defined by uh, your own anatomy's relation to the geometry or to some other kind of imaginary coordinate mm. than the geometric conditions that you're in so the, like all of those things um, are like for me those things are very felt they sound a little dry but it's like i'm a plant i'm like i like i'm a cactus or i'm a fur or i'm a palm or i'm a thing i don't know like a, it's just like a, all those things like i'm completely fed differently by all of those relations to space uh and then uh, like also with touch you know is it is your touch gendered in this in this relation or not or can it not be like like can you you can't control if someone takes your touch as gendered but you can choose for yourself what how you bring yourself to that touch mm. i think to some degree or modulate it maybe calibrate it um And I don't, like, I, you know, I don't, like, it's, you know, a little bit, I'm like, don't try this at home. Like, you, <laughs> you, you need training to do that. It doesn't, it doesn't come without uh, learning. You need to learn about, for touch, for example, for sure. You mm. need to understand a lot about it to, to be able to use it differently. And um, yeah, everything, time, how do you divide time? Like, are we, we I mean, we, you and I right now, we're in a durational relationship, but I, I don't have control over when that time ends. You do. I know that. I'm unsure of how um, useful my awareness of that is you know like so I, I don't really I'm not really ho holding up on that or working with that a lot but I am I am aware of it um as part of what what our context is I there's a particular rhythm developing between I talk a lot and you talk a little <laughs> uh you are prepared and I am not you know, in, in some ways, I mean, I'm prepared from experience, but you have notes, I don't. So there are all these things about our condition that I can um, have various degrees of uh, sensitivity towards, maybe, and then choosing which sensitivities to use. Mm. Uh, I think... I mean, I like to use, I like to talk about control a little bit because I feel like it's um, often sort of uh, like looked down on, you know, that you would want control. <laughs> um, but I, I also think of how many, how many times people have asked to control my experience as a dancer. So I think, well, somebody likes control. <laughs> I don't know. It's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not my imagination that control is part of um, our field. How much control, what kind of control, um, and how possible it really is, is interesting. Yeah, I'm. I'm reading this book uh, by Maggie Nelson called "On Freedom," and she says uh, at one point, I think she's quoting someone else. I can't remember, but this comes up: "On um, freedom is a practice um, that makes it possible not to be subjugated." Yeah, freedom is a practice. And what it allows is the possibility not to be subjugated. And I think that's, I just, it's great. You know, it's like, oh, right. 
But if you don't practice it, you will be, <laughs> you know. And if you do practice it, you might be able to handle it, you know. If you do, if you if you have practices of freedom, but it's not. It's something that has to be sustained and uh, worked with. And, uh, but back to back to what you quoted to me the the skillful experience. Yeah, skillful experiencing in relation to yeah. So I think that's. That's what I'm talking about. Skillful relation uh, to experience is one that um, never it never solves the problem that you can't control mm. yourself or experience, but it it does give you access to um, more ways to move, more more ways to experience and. In relation to art making, the possibility that you you contribute specifically to the situation that you're in, hmm. you you bring to it what it needs or what it calls for. Um, I think sometimes this sensitivity that you talk about or mm -hmm. skillful experiencing, sometimes it can be hard for me to pinpoint how that is trained. Mm. Mm -hmm. And would you say mm. like that you feel that you have a, a examples of that or that it is like a continuing doing of mm. these things that we do within dance that trains that? Oh, I, I think that um, for me it has had a lot to do with working with different artists as a dancer so I go into one context and we work this way and then I go into the next context and we work really differently and what I have to learn the way that I have to understand space language touch time you know lunch <laughs> like everything in this context uh, teaches me about the other Mm. context and the choices that are there so i for me that has been it really has been um uh yeah working with artists uh working in what i would say what i would call aesthetic regimes mm. so choreographic conditions um but also this this maybe back to this thing about um, feeling form from within. Uh, uh, in my in my experience, there was a, a period where there was a point where I really needed to have uh, time and and um, training in feeling what was happening as it was happening. So feeling weight as it moved, uh, feeling texture as it changed, um, understanding momentum as it was happening in my body. I had to slow down. And those the somatic forms like, um, well, body-mind centering, Klein, uh, Alexander, you know, these, these sort of big names also uh, certain teachers of contact improvisation, um, those forms, those sort of formal approaches to uh, sent, like, yeah, sensory experience, were really useful for me in relation to this question of visuality and being seen and producing shapes because I was still producing the shapes but then I was suddenly like ah it feels like this mm. when I do that oh, and there's this quality to it and that it can have this kind of dynamic or it can have this texture and all, the, all these things sort of became important but I had to I had to uh, slow down and re um, reconfigure my expectations of my body and of being seen also I think that had to that had to kind of get um, softened a little bit quieted in order for the learning to, things I needed to learn I wasn't going to be able to learn that at the speed that I was 
being asked to produce mm. um, shapes. Mm. Let's keep it at shapes. For, for yeah, you know, like I mean, I, yeah. And also with those with those forms where you become a little bit more the um, judge of of what happening if you if this feels right or it doesn't rather than this looks right from outside or it doesn't um then this sense of responsibility and of limits different kinds of boundaries about what you will and won't do yeah. right and that actually i think is really important in yeah, yeah in the whole it's also just to say, Rebecca, that like like I came from from the Isadora Duncan dancing early, but from so much classical training at such at at very formative points. So then it was really the contrast also that was important. It was like, oh, there's this other way to work. Mm. So sometimes I think that's actually really important is to an inconsistency or an incoherence mm. in in your training can help give you a different spectrum yeah so that you can be more skillful about what you experience about how you're experiencing because you have some difference that you can make some distinction between things hmm? um is there anything that you would like to add or be asked or ask before we end Mm. Yeah, I guess uh, just just um, like I I have a lot of confidence in art. <laughs> it's funny. It's such a short word, you know, art. Uh, And I, I, I think, like, I just would like to say about that, that it isn't because I think art is good. It's because I think art can be bad. And really good people can make bad art. And bad people can make good art. And something in between can happen there that it's not bound by um, goodness and rightness and wellness even means that it's so complicated it's so complex it has such an amazing position in our um, in our uh, move moving through the world I think that's really because working with with your body, you really need to be careful about the fact that you know art can can hurt. You know, you could get hurt, or you like you can hurt someone else. So you have to, and, and even what you represent, you know, it could be ethically wrong. And like, there's a lot of trouble. Um, and I just want to say that I have that's that's really great. And I have really have a lot of confidence in um, dance and in performers to survive and wrestle with the complexity of um, art. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining and for this conversation. You're welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. And uh, thank you, whoever's been listening. Goodbye. Fan, 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 fan,